0: the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Miriam Udell. Miriam is Associate Professor of German Studies and Jewish Studies at Emory University, where her teaching focuses on Yiddish language, literature, and culture. She holds an AB in Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations from Harvard University, as well as a PhD in Comparative Literature from the same institution. Her research interests include Yiddish Modernism, Genre Studies, Jewish children's literature, and American Jewish literature. She is author of Never Better, the Modern Jewish Picturesque, winner of a National Jewish Book Award in Modern Jewish Thought and Experience. She's currently working on an annotated, translated anthology of Yiddish children's literature called Honey on the Page to be published by New York University Press. Welcome, Miriam, and thanks for clearing time today to visit with me um, before you head off. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Lisa. It's been fun to sort of have you on the periphery of my world this week. You're here for the Tent Creative Children's Literature Workshop. That's right. And you've been doing a little bit of lecturing. Yes. So it's fun to see you here because um, you're usually here for translated related translation-related, sorry.
1: That's right. I've been here for a few different purposes over the years, and
0: it's always a pleasure. We love having you here. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've been lecturing? I've been desperately curious and, and unable to attend the lecture, so here's my opportunity to ask you.
1: Sure. So the Book Center has assembled a really vibrant group of contemporary Jewish children's book authors and My research for the past several years since I held the Translation Fellowship here in 2013 has been about Yiddish children's literature. I am uh, currently in the final stages of preparing an anthology of Yiddish children's literature to be published next year with New York University Press. And um, then I will be spending next academic year as a senior fellow at Emory's Humanities Center working on a critical study of Yiddish children's literature. So it's something that I've thought about a lot. And the idea was to embed these contemporary authors' experience this week in some kind of meaningful overview and encounter with the Yiddish children's literature that started to take shape almost 100 years ago.
0: So I guess I have two questions, and like uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Excuse me. How did you find your way to Yiddish translation, and did that lead you to explore children's literature, or was it the need to explore children's literature in Yiddish that led you to translation?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I'm trying to sort it out in my own mind. So I'll tell you how I got interested in the children's literature project. It was really a confluence of two things. One was that I was teaching Yiddish language at Emory, and— I thought that just for pedagogical reasons, it would be great if my students could encounter authentic Yiddish cultural materials, but pitched at a level that they could really comprehend after one or one and a half semesters. And so that led me to wonder, well, gee, there must have been children's literature in Yiddish, and when I learned foreign languages, including Hebrew children's literature, was an important part of my language learning experience, I wonder if there's anything. And I started Googling, and that very rapidly brought up the Noah Coatsen Library on the Book Center's own website, which is an incredible resource that collects almost a thousand extant works of Yiddish children's literature and gives little synopses of them. And I said, oh my goodness, there's there's a treasure trove here. So that was one of the th- the two things um, that met. And the other was that I have invested so much of the past 13 years, uh, the time in which I've been a mother, in reading and therefore thinking about the children's literature that I encountered as a parent and realizing that there is actually so much going on intellectually, with these stories that we are creating for and telling and sharing with our children. And that was something that I really wanted to start thinking about in an organized way with respect to Yiddish.
0: That's a question I have for you in terms of, is there something vastly different about the way that these books were written for children? And let's actually quickly define how we are using the term children's literature? Is it early readers? Does it go through, you know, juvenile? um, How how does that sort of uh, parallel the way we define it in English language?
1: It's a a great question. So one of the things that we always have to think about when we talk about modern Yiddish literature, whether it is fiction or poetry for adults or this newer corpus of children of children's literature one of the things that we have to think about is the infrastructure for creating and consuming literature and that infrastructure is coming into being almost simultaneously with the literature itself it's a body of literature that grows up in the first decades of the 20th century particularly from the late teens through the 30s in that interwar period, in order to serve the needs of the various Yiddish educational systems, school systems, each of which was politically aligned in some way, which was trying to present a coherent ideology about what it meant to be, to be Jewish, to be a citizen, to be Polish, to be American. Um, And they needed materials for the use of children. And that's really how Yiddish children's literature begins to come about. So then you ask me, well, how different is it from other children's literary traditions? And the answer to that, of course, is going to be, it depends. It depends who we're talking about, where and when. We have Yiddish children's literature that is striving to be incredibly universalistic. It happens to be written in Yiddish because that is what the audience speaks as a but there is almost no distinctive Jewish content in some of, say, the Soviet Yiddish children's literature. And we're seeing themes that you might see in any body of children's literature, whether they are fictional themes about um, ethical relationships between people, or whether they are nonfiction themes about exploring the world, exploring technologies that were new at the time, like the international mail system or the aeroplane, right? Um, And then we also, of course, see um, children's literature that is very much about cultural consolidation and preservation of that which is understood to be culturally Jewish, whether that means Jewish holidays or Jewish history. And it's very particularly bound up in the Jewish.
0: Who were the writers?
1: So one of the amazing things about this corpus is that you almost have to ask who weren't the writers. And what I mean by that is that one clear difference I'm seeing between the Jewish children's literary complex, and by that I mean both Yiddish and Hebrew, as opposed to almost every other European and American children's literary tradition that I'm aware of, one of the really distinguishing hallmarks of the Jewish case is that most, really almost every, canonical, mainstream, high art writer attempts at some point to write something for children. So they didn't necessarily become renowned as children's authors, but a figure like Moisha Kulbach um, writes this incredible story, Derwins versus Geworden in Kass, The Wind That Got Angry. That's one of my favorites.
0: And it's interesting when you're talking about this, I'm imagining the fact that, like or unlike other children's literature, which geographically belongs in one place, this could reach children across the globe. Because it's in Yiddish, yeah. Um, and were there publishers all over the world, as as there are for other, you know, um,
1: genres of literature? There absolutely were. Not all at the same time, but it is such a transnational, international project. So we see publication for children starting out strongly in Vilna and Warsaw in the twenties, as we might expect, and. After the Soviet Revolution, we see books being published in Moscow and Kharkov. And all throughout, you know, the entirety of the existence of Yiddish children's literature, we see a strong publishing history in New York. But then after the war, we see an absolute flourishing in Latin America. So we see books coming out of Buenos Aires, Mexico City, and Havana. And if I may, I hope this is a
0: question I should ask. When does it bump into Hebrew? When does it? Well, what I do mean, we bump so, into? So what, I guess, what's the arc of Yiddish children's literature? Vis-a-vis Hebrew. V- yeah.
1: So there were certainly some authors who created content in both languages. I'm thinking of Yankiv Fichman, who wrote this beautiful Sabbath tale, A Shabbos Invald, Sa- Sabbath in the Forest, Um who was known and remembered as the father of the Hebrew lullaby. Um, We have figures like Levine Kipnis, who spent most of his career living in Palestine and then Israel writing in Hebrew, who writes, I think, very movingly in the introduction to his one collection of Yiddish children's stories, Unter and under the date palm, about how this is, Kind of uh, a nostalgia project for him, but that he also wants to do something for the yiddish speaking children and so I think that there's you know there it's always a complicated history of some competition and some harmony, and it's no different in the realm of children's literature. and are there classics? <sighs> that is a surprisingly hard question to answer. I'm hoping that there soon will be. That's a lovely answer. (laughs) What I mean by that is that when we say that something is a classic, again, we're talking about a certain kind of infrastructure for how books are consumed and thought of within a culture. And there are works that absolutely should have been classics and that really had the rug pulled out from under them in that their readership largely disappeared. But I'm hoping that through translation we can restore some of that readership and restore some of that status as classics.
0: So just the other day we had Community Open House here at the center. And in the morning, our bibliographer, David Mazaur, did a presentation and he selected his top 10 uh, illustrated Yes. I
1: salivated over the list
0: yesterday. Uh, It's a pretty good list. And visually, um, well, for somebody like myself who doesn't read Yiddish, and as an art major, I was fascinated when I came here. And the more we unearth, the more amazing these books are. Could I put the question to you, but I don't have to give you 10. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Maybe a couple of your favorites or one that really led you in the direction of pursuing this.
1: Are you talking about the stories or the illustrations? Well, I would
0: say the stories, because for you, I think um, that's
1: the entry point to this conversation. Yes. All right. So some of the early ones that blew me away are that box story about the wind that got angry, which I think is about a child having a tantrum. Um, the Fichman story about keeping the Sabbath in the forest is really beautiful. But then also, some of the urban stories are absolutely delightful. There's one um by David Roden called Elion and Elka Elia and Elka. I don't even know why it was marketed as a children's story to be perfectly honest. anybody could read it and enjoy it and it's a story about aging and about a marriage. It's about a Bubby and a Zadie, who are growing older in Brownsville, and their their 10 children are all launched. And what maintains their domestic harmony and their sanity and their integrity as two individual people is their relationship with their pets. The wife has a bird, and the husband has a horse who is stabled down in the courtyard. And they have these really emotionally rich, elaborate relationships with their animals. So that's one example. Another pattern that I'm becoming aware of as almost a subgenre is the mischievous girl. I think that the culture out of which children's literature in Yiddish is coming is so so androcentric and so boy-dominant. It's coming out of the culture of the cheder. And by the mid-30s, authors are really grappling with the fact that if they're going to be relevant, they can't just write about half of the population. They need to write girls into these stories. And what I'm realizing is that there is this kind of a pattern to the way that girl characters tend to get written, which is that they're mischievous girls, and I think that there might be an interesting kind of Deep cultural parallel to the figure of the new woman who is living a little bit dangerously, and you know this is all kitty content, so so it's all one hundred percent culture. But we have a really interesting braiding together of this the girl who's a little mischievous and the urban setting. So we have a girl who gets lost, or one of my favorites, we have a, a group of linked stories called. Das Modna Mädel von Brooklyn, an unusual girl from Brooklyn. And her superpower is that she's a bookworm, but she's a very intense bookworm who loves to read, who always has a book in her hand. And her, her superpower that's also her Achilles heel is that whatever she's reading about in her book at the moment, she perceives that to be happening in her own life. And so the book is a series of stories about all the jams that she gets into because she's living the book in her hand.
0: <laughs> These are great. They are. And they're going to get translated?
1: Uh, they've mostly i've they've translated 92,000 words so far. They've mostly been—no, what I mean to say is not that most of this corpus has been translated. There right. are almost 1,000 pieces, but my anthology will include about 50 of them. And most of the translation is already done.
0: Do you read to your children in Yiddish? I don't. Do you
1: translate as you read? They are my focus group. The way that I know if a story has legs is if they kind of dutifully say, yeah, I'm reading it. Or if, you know, I leave one of them reading it and he's on page five and I come back and a few minutes later he's on page 17 Single spaced, yes. and then I know we've got a winner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's great to have a focus group like that. It is, yeah.
1: <laughs> and
0: challenging to translate them. I mean, I, I know the construct of children's books, you know, in English, the editing process and the amount of words on a page and the sentence structure are they're they're labor intensive. Um, and I know there's a back and forth from friends of mine who've written books yeah. um, between the editor. Is that do you, are you finding that
1: challenging? So I'll tell you, I mean, I think all translation is challenging if you're doing it well, but I'll tell you some of the specific challenges of translating this corpus. Um, One of them is that children's literature is so new in Yiddish at the time that it's being written, at least in the initial decades, that there are no rules, there are no norms and conventions. And so one of the places where there's no convention is that there's no sense of speaking to children in a different, simpler register. So I'm going along, translating a story with relatively straightforward, simple content, and then instead of saying sad, the story will say desolate. you know. <laughs> and I'll have the dilemma, okay, now when I am trying to make these stories accessible to child readers, which I am, Which word am I going to use? Because we are used to having a little bit simpler register when we speak to children. Where can I stretch and ask my reader to stretch? And where do I need to simplify a little
0: bit? And I'm going to go off on a totally different tangent here. Don't worry. Um, I read that your your teaching focuses on the Jewish encounter with modernity through literature. And... I guess I'd ask if, well, we've sort of touched on the fact that this children's literature grew up at the same time, which is fascinating. I had never thought of that, but it's absolutely true. Um, So I'm going to, I guess, stick with um, adult adult literature Mm -hmm. and ask you if there's one seminal work which you think is that defining moment or that defining writer or
1: work. So in some ways you're asking me, a literary historical question when when you say, you know, what's defining? And it's asking Mm -hmm. me to make a statement that I'm claiming is true out there in the world, like universally true. And I'm such a literature person as opposed to a history person. And it's so much about the readers encounter with the work that I'm going to take your question and I'm just going to spin it a few degrees. So instead of telling you what I think was the defining moment, I'm going to talk to you about one of my desert island books. And that's that's
0: perfect. Yes, okay. I didn't mean to put you on the so, yeah the, the academic uh, specter. Whatever.
1: So which book would would I take with me on the desert island? Mm-hmm. Which book do I use to start? pretty much all of my Yiddish culture courses, no matter what the topic is. For me, that's the Tevye stories. Shalom Aleichem. Okay. I
0: see that the the, the, the hour is getting late, and I know you need to catch a ride to the airport. Um, So I will um, probably uh, say thank you, um, unless I could ask you one other quick question. Sure. Um, Just how has it been um, to be here talking about... Yiddish children's literature in the context of training um a lens on Jewish children's literature. Yeah.
1: So first of all, there's being here at all. I whenever I roll up and I I see the roof, I feel like I'm being transported to my happy place. Even before I walk into the building. I love the way it smells. I love the way it the the light falls inside. I just love being here. So that's that's one thing. Um But it is such a source of joy to teach these texts that I've labored on and spent so much time with to people who are going to use them in the world and who are going to help them stay relevant and achieve a new kind of relevance for a new generation of Jewish readers and readers interested in Jewish things. Um, The students in this program are passionate, they're invested, they're curious, they're lively, and one thing that came up in today's seminar is that many of them still have the unfortunately disappearing knack of being able to read a text out loud and really Bring it to life through the experience of reading, and that's something that um, is is just delightful because then we can share together in the pleasure of the text.
0: Lovely. Well, thank you so much. Um, I can't wait till the anthology comes out.
1: Thank you. Neither uh, can I.
0: Thank you for all your work, and it's just um, an absolute pleasure to have you here. I
1: feel the same way. Thank you, Lisa.
0: listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Miranda, a fellow at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 131, Lisa Newman's January 2017 conversation with Ezra Glinter, editor of Have I Got a Story for You, about fiction in the forwards. Until next time, be well, be healthy, Zygezund.